Hey Dragons, this is the special Countdown to Covenant with me and Rachel Bolin talking about Alien and Aliens in the Alien movie franchise. Next week we're coming back at you with Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection, so we hope you enjoy our take uh, on this Countdown to Covenant. Work out, nerd out. In the basement rolling dice. Hello again, dragons. Welcome to another episode of the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. I am your host, Kenny Rotter, and I am joined here by Rachel Bolin, blogger extraordinaire for the DumbbellsandDragons.com blog. Rachel, how are you today? I'm doing so great, Kenny. How are you? I am wonderful. We are here today to discuss, or to begin the discussion of one of your all-time favorite sci-fi franchises, the Alien franchise. Yes. Um, And I have never seen any of these movies, well, before I watched the two that we're going to be discussing this, this morning. So that was new for me. That, it stunned me when you told me you'd never seen these. But actually, our good friend Lenny told me he has also not seen these. Oh, yeah. And now, like, once I finish, I can make fun of him for it. Well, he should be watching along with us, like the rest of our listeners, to catch up. Oh, Lenny. Thanks for watching. (laughs) I said he should be. (laughs) He should be. (laughs) As we put that moral imperative on Lenny. Poor Lenny. No, I don't know how. So, so t- first of all, I guess start us off by telling us how have you missed the entire franchise that's been around since 1979? Well, it was kind of like I wasn't born in 79, and then, <laughs> so I missed the first one, and then uh, I just never really had the time to go back. It just never really crossed my radar, even as like. Alien vs. Predator came out, or Prometheus came out. It was just never really on my radar. I was like, all right, I'm too far gone. And to be honest, I'd never seen the Predator movies, so when Alien vs. Predator came out, I was like, well, this means nothing to me. I don't know anything about any of these characters. So then it became... I think what I would have been old enough to actually start going to see by myself would be Resurrection, And so I think I was just kind of like, well, I never saw Resurrection. And then I'm like, I don't know anything about these villains. So why do I care? And it became, it actually became an active avoidance instead of just a passive. Interesting. Missing out. Yeah. Um, Is that still true about the Predator series as well? Have you seen that? I have not. I will probably throw... Well, first, you know, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I've been going back to watch a lot of his older stuff. Like, I watched Hercules in New York, which is his first ever movie, and uh, in the theatrical release, his voice was dubbed over. Oh, God. (laughs) And so I went back and I started watching that, and it's, like, from, like, the 1960s. So, at some point, probably before we get to Alien vs. Predator, I will go back and watch the Predators leading up to AVP. That's, well, I don't think you're going to have time, Um, but, you know, there's also a new Predator movie coming out in the future, so we could also do a different series for that one. A, a, I'm trying to think of what we would call it. This is the Countdown to Covenant. Would this be the prologue to Predators? (laughs) Yeah, no, so, so, so the Predator franchise. Sorry for spinning off into a different franchise. One of the reasons I love uh, Predator franchise so much is they're terrible at titles. So the first movie is just Predator. The second movie is Predator Two. The third movie, which just came out, I don't know what was that, like five years ago, is Predators plural. And then the next one is going to be the Predator. <laughs> so they're just <laughs> variations on a form. Well, I don't know if we can bash on them because another one of your favorite franchises is the Fast and Furious franchise and those titles have no continuity really either. Okay, how dare you insult the Fast and Furious franchise? It is a treasure, <laughs> an American treasure, and the most recent movie is wonderful and everyone needs to go out and see it anyway. <laughs> um and again, that is another 
franchise, I've only seen the first iteration. So, apparently I spent all my time watching other movies. Yes, you did. <laughs> um, so, Kenny, thoughts on the first Alien movie? Oh, okay. So, I read an article that said this was the third scariest movie of all time. And this this list came out, like, a few years ago. So, then I watched the movie, and I was like, okay, maybe third scariest for the time. Like, in 1979, I can see how this would be scary. Yes. I didn't think it was that scary. I thought it was a little suspenseful. But I also don't think I watched it in a setting where I was able to be scared. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, I had to stop and start it a few times just because, you know, life gets in the way. I watched, like, I watched it in broad daylight in a well-lit room with, like, my wife doing things in the background. So it's not like I really gave myself an opportunity to build up that sort of suspense. Right. So a bit bit of backstory on how I got into this franchise. Um... So my mom is a huge fan of the Alien movies. And um, a brief bit of my background is I'm an only child. Um, and uh, it's just, it was basically just my mom and me growing up. Um, and so if my mom wanted to watch something, like, I was just always kind of around. <laughs> so my mom watched these movies when I was a kid. And she would try to, like, get me to not be in the room. But, of course, I was a brat and did what I wanted to do. And so I saw (laughs) aliens when I was, I saw the second one when I was a very small child, like way too young. And then I saw alien three when I was also way too young and they terrified me. Um, And then when I got to college, I was like, I'm going to take control of this so I can stop having nightmares about xenomorphs 20 years later. (laughs) So I, so I went back and watched all of the movies, including the first one. And, like, I agree that when I actually went back and as an adult watched Alien, it was suspenseful but not scary. But when you're six, it's pretty scary. <laughs> I can see that. I think uh, there there's not a lot that wouldn't scare me at six years old. Right. Right. Um, but I actually do think that even though it's not and, – and a little bit of background, actually. So so one, one of the reasons this, this movie is so great, the franchise is so great, this really starts science fiction horror. Um, so in 79, uh, there, even general horror, there, there's not a lot of stuff is starting to come out, right? Like we're, we're starting to get like slasher films and that sort of stuff. Um, most of it comes out later, like in the early eighties and even, uh, like the thing, which is obviously very, you know, probably got made because of alien. Um, that's a few years later in the, in the eighties and predator is way later as well. So we really have this movie to thank for that entire genre of film. Um, because it's, and essentially what this is, is like a, a haunted house, not a haunted house, but that kind of setting in space, right? Like the, the isolation, like, you know, when in a, in a horror movie, you're trapped in one location, you can't get out and something's chasing you. They just, you know, took that concept and put it into outer space. Um, but in doing so, they created a whole subgenre of science fiction. Okay. Like, I always knew and I gave respect to the franchise for doing amazing things for genre films. So it was just never on my radar. You know what one of my issues was with this movie? What? It was very dark. Yes. And I was watching it in, like I said, well-lit places. So I always Mm -hmm. had a glare and it was hard to tell what was going on. Okay. Whereas I think in a, like, blacked out theater, or even a blacked out room, it would have made a lot more sense to watch it in an atmosphere where I could get scared. Right. Right. And I think it's, you know, the movies do sort of lose some of their scariness as they keep getting reproduced because you know what the alien is. I mean, I can't imagine going to the theater in 1979 and not knowing exactly what it is that you're going to see. Um, and, and also, you know, this movie 
does it, I think is one of the first movies to to use this technique where the big name characters or the big name actors they die. Um, like Tom Skerritt's the top bill, billing here, and Veronica Cartwright is the other big name. Like nobody knows Sigourney Weaver. Um, this is one of her first movies, if not her first movie. I don't remember. Um, first of all, but so that's, we all know that Sigourney Weaver is our friend. Do you not? Have you is not what said, is our friend? Sigourney Weaver is our friend. Do you not know from Finding Dory? No, I did not see Finding Dory. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver is the best part of that movie. She okay. Like, um, when Dory tries to go to a Sea World type place, Sigourney Weaver does all like the educational announcements in the background. Uh huh. And so Dory's just like, oh, my friend Sigourney Weaver. (laughs) And and because every announcement starts with, I'm Sigourney Weaver. And it's actually Sigourney Weaver's voice. And it's hilarious. And so I just always think that Sigourney Weaver is my friend. Well, she is. She is. Um, I really want to reference another movie right now, but I don't want to spoil it in case people haven't seen it. So um, never mind. Just disregard that. Do you know which movie I'm thinking of? There's one movie where she's definitely not your friend. Um, well, I know she's going to be the big bad in Guardians Volume 2. Wait, is she? Yeah. No. Oh, I didn't even know. No, that can't be right. No. It's... You're thinking... Um, well, she is going to be the big bad in something. Maybe it is Guardians Volume 2. No, because... what? Um, uh, crap. No, she's not in Guardians Volume 2. You know as, what? As, That's we've why, com- that- as, as we've completely gone off the rails and we are no no longer talking about, uh... Oh, no, no, no! The Defenders! No, yes, yes. She's in the Defenders. Yes. No, yes. that's right. Yes. Um, no, we're still talking about Sigourney Weaver, who's, who is the franchise, so it's fine. But yeah, but like, how great is she in this movie? She is wonderful. Um, and she's, she's the only person on the ship that actually, like knows what the hell she's doing and has a brain about all of this. Like when they try to bring uh, Kane back on the ship and she's like, I don't think we should do this guys. Right. She's like, no, he needs to be like, he needs to be in quarantine for like 24 hours or something. Yeah. I was like, I was like, like this all could have been avoided. All could have been avoided. Yep. Uh huh. Uh, I have, I have so many fun facts. My first fun fact is um, the, the dinner scene the iconic dinner scene um, where we first meet the alien. So none of the cast members knew what was exactly going to happen either. So those reactions are kind of real reactions (laughs) because they knew that like something was going to happen. Um, They did not know that this thing was going to like this prosthetic was going to pop out seemingly of his chest and that like all the blood was going to like go everywhere. So, like, when all that blood, like, flies onto Veronica Cartwright, like, that's her actually reacting, because she had no clue that was going to happen. Well, okay, so I can see that, but did they only take one take? That I don't know, but, like, every every time they talk about this, all the actors make it sound as though they do. Like, Ridley Scott makes it sound as if it was just, like, the actual explosion was one. I don't know if that's true, but they always make it sound that way. Because okay. his whole thing was that he wanted to get authentic responses. That's really cool. And I actually, I do admire when filmmakers take that sort of risk. It's really awesome. But I do agree that Sigourney Weaver is the only one that's like, no, we need to start following protocol. And these protocols yeah. are there for a reason. Here's Here's one of my questions about Alien. How many exoskeletons does the alien shed because you've got this little baby alien and then I want to say Henry Dean Stanton discovers the essentially that it's shed its skin kind of like a snake and then all of a sudden it's this giant massive alien and I was like does it shed more and how quickly does it grow so those are questions that we never um I don't think we ever quite get answers to those. Um, and like, this is obviously the first alien, especially is a unique environment because it's just one alien. The alien itself 
and like this is kind of like getting and comparing the two movies. Um, so sorry if I'm jumping ahead. I mean, one complaint that I have is that I feel like the the alien the xenomorphs in Aliens act differently than the xenomorph in Alien. And as I was reflecting on that, I think that can also be explained by the fact that like the aliens alone on the ship, like it's it's also probably like not acting as though it as as it normally would. Um, but we don't get a lot of information about its life cycle, like yeah. its growth cycle. I guess I should say. Well, and I always, I I find it interesting that it's, their reproductive cycle is they have to be birthed in an egg, then they hatch, then they have to implant a embryo or a parasite into a host, and then it has to hatch again. Yeah. So, do you know when they came up, because the, the term xenomorph is never mentioned in Alien. Right. It's mentioned in Aliens, yeah. Yeah. So, did... Is this a species... Did they just name it Xenomorph? Or did they... Like, had they been studying it? Or because I know when you show up in Aliens, there's all of the the things in, in the lab. So... So again, so so without giving away too much, um, I mean, well, obviously, you know, Prometheus is a prequel to Alien. Um, Ridley Scott doesn't refer to it as such, but it, it, there's a, a link to Alien. And obviously, Alien Covenant is also a prequel. And so I think um, we also don't have full information. We, the viewer, don't have full information as to what the Weyland yutani Corporation knew about the alien okay. at any given point. At any given point, yeah. So what are some of your favorite parts of Alien? Um, so I love the dinner scene. I um, I love, uh, there are little things that I love. Like, I love Parker's continued repeating, how come we don't freeze him? Um, I don't know, <laughs> I love that so much. I like Tom Scare in the movie. Let me ask you this. When did you figure out, or did you figure out, that Ash is a robot? I actually didn't pick up on the fact that he wasn't a uh robot until until it was revealed it was kind of like a, a a moment for me and well did you know that he was bad though i i kind of got i knew somebody was gonna be like was gonna take a turn i was like she's not just fighting the alien she's going like there's going to be some human right. threat well you know human i use that term loosely uh, right, human right. robot threat, and so I knew somebody was going to try to be like, "No, we need to to not kill this thing." Yeah, no, I, it's and it's funny because, um, well, though I mean, it's funny because I I've never quite understood the point of hiding the fact that he was a robot. Um, like it's a great it's a great reveal. That's a great scene, but I never understood like. Because they're not, like, surprised that he is, that robots exist. They're like, oh, yeah, androids, that's a thing. They're just surprised that they have one on their ship. So I guess I just never understood the narrative point of hiding that fact. But no, that's a great scene. I mean, and, like, obviously, obviously well, the end of the movie is such, is so great. Well, well real quick, the, I think the moment I noticed something yeah. was weird is when, like, his head was leaking. Or, like, he was sweating some sort of <laughs> viscous liquid. Yes. It was mm-hmm. very weird, and I was like, what is going on? Oh, something's about to happen. He's going to hurt Sigourney. Don't hurt my friend Sigourney. Don't hurt my friend Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> now, yeah. uh, so going to the end, what what were you going to say about the end? Well, I mean, so, so I, I mean, in both movies use this this trope, but it's, you, you, you're lulled into this false sense of security, you know, and you're like, God, thank God she got out. She's going to be fine. And then you just see it move a little bit. And even now, like when I go back and I'm watching the movie, like I know it's there, but like, I forget (laughs) it's it's there. And I'm like, I I need to be like looking, I'm like looking for it when in the background, you know, when she's just like in the ship, um, in the, in the, uh, the shuttle, right. The shuttle, the escape shuttle. Yeah. But I mean, like, she's so badass. Like, I think maybe at that point I'd be like, you know what, you win, alien. Just kill me. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- that was the thing in the in the in the first one. I just couldn't. I was like, wait, how did it get on the shuttle? I was very confused as to how it got on the shuttle. 
Yeah, I'm confused. Yeah, you're right. It must – see, this is – well, this is another really good question slash point of debate is what is the alien's intelligence level, the xenomorph's intelligence level? Because it – so it had to have gotten on the shuttle before she did, and it had to have hid on the shuttle. But how did it – how did it know where to – how did it know that that was an escape shuttle? And how did it know – to hide and how did it know to get ahead of her because like she's running away from it right yes right Uh, how did it how did it get back in front of her and then get to the shuttle and hide before she got there right how did it know where she was going and if if it knew where she was going i mean like is it is it intelligent enough to know that she's blowing up the the nostromo like is it is it smart enough to realize that, like, it has to get on the shuttle or it dies? It must be. Well, and it it, it seemed injured when it was on the shuttle. I'm thinking. What, what makes you say that? Because it was, like, moving slower and it looked like it was kind of, like, in pain. But I was like, when did she inflict any damage on it? That's a good question, but it, but also like if it is injured, it had to have like it it can't have had an injury though because if it had a an injury where it was bleeding, we would know that because of the the acid. I don't know. It just it continuity errors, continuity errors. So I I know I just I just didn't understand what how it got on the ship and all this other thing. Yeah, great, great scene, great, you know false ending to real ending but I was very much like okay maybe in 1979 they're a little more forgiving on plot holes so I, so I guess we had made it to the end of Aliens so do you want to say anything more about Alien or do you want to move on to Aliens um yes there's more I wanted to say about Alien I appreciate that she saved the cat yes however there are scenes where she is very violent with the box the cat's in <laughs> It's like banging into walls and she's throwing it everywhere. And I'm like, okay, I appreciate you saving the cat, but dear Lord. All right, listen, the cat has to take what it can get, okay? This is the best rescue it's going to get. <laughs> That's true. What, what What was your favorite scene? I, You know, I would have to say the kitchen scene is, per, I mean, it's just the most iconic scene from from the movie. Right, it definitely is, uh, it definitely is iconic. And it's just, it's just so, and I, I can't, yeah, again, I just can't imagine being in a theater and not knowing what was going to happen in that scene and then watching that unfold. Oh, uh, I'm with you. Oh, I have one more fun fact. I have two more fun facts. Ooh, fun facts. So number one, um, because it's 1979, the alien is just a really, really tall man in a suit. Which is so cool. It is so cool. And, I mean, obviously, James Cameron does a lot with them in the next movie and really changes a lot about them. Um, but I, I re- that's one of the reasons I love Alien, the original Alien, so much is because it's just like a straight up horror movie with just a guy in a suit playing a monster, you know. My second fun fact is uh, so when they find the derelict ship where they find the eggs um, and there's the dude who becomes known as the space jockey in uh, Alien fandom. The, the dead skeleton that with its bones protruding out, which should have been a clue maybe to the people investigating, but whatever. So the, <laughs> when they, when that, the scene, when they come down into the ship and like, it looks so gigantic, the space jockey looks like it's, it's so much bigger than a human. Yeah. The, re- yeah. the reason for that is because those far away scenes are actually shot with children in the space suits. So it's a normal size model but they use children to make it look like it's extraordinarily large. But so is is the the skeleton supposed to look abnormally large? Like is he? Yeah. Spo- yes. Is it- when you is it when you because it's not a huge. We don't know what it is. We never we never knew what it was. We kind of find out in Prometheus, but we had never know we had never known before that what that person or thing was. And so if you go back and, like, look at the still shots from where the, the the members of the Nostromo are just walking around it, it looks larger than a, a human because – and they wanted to do that specifically. They wanted to make it bigger than a normal human. 
Oh, okay. Interesting. Because I was wondering, I was like, that looks like it's supposed to be some sort of giant. And then I was like, guys, if whatever killed this giant-like thing is still around, um, that's a problem. Yeah, maybe you guys should get the hell out of there. Yeah, maybe. just like bounce. And here, here's my thing. Is, does the xenomorph hatch bigger based on its incubator? That is a really good question that I don't know if I want to answer. You don't have to answer. Um, no, I, no, I'll answer. I, I, I'll, I think that I could, this, I can phrase it in a way that avoids spoilers. Yes. So we learned that one of the things with the xenomorph is that they tend to, um, we, we don't know what the xenomorphs are in their actual true purest form because things happen in the franchise that lead us to believe that they take on traits of their host. So for example, part of the reason why the alien moves like a human is because it was incubated by a human. Interesting. Thus the morphing part of xenomorph. (laughs) Yes. The mighty morphing xenomorphs. Um, (laughs) Yes. And that will come up. Later movies. Oh my goodness! I really want to make a a a film called Mighty Morphin Xenomorphs, where they incubate in Power Rangers, and then they become like Power Ranger Xenomorphs. Oh god, that'd be brilliant. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. So let's move to Alien, which I liked infinitely more, mostly because it was brighter and I could see, okay. and also because it's so much fun. It is so much fun. So what what was your favorite part of the second one? Ooh, my favorite part of the second one, probably when Paul Reiser dies. Because, <laughs> like, like, huge douche. Yes. Um, or uh, I thought it was uh, the really cool scene is when they are, they're in the room and they're counting down the meters to where, to when the xenomorphs are going to come to them. And they're like, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? And then they look up in the air ducts and there's like a bunch of them just like crawling towards them. Yes. That was really cool. And also I think that was the first really clear shot you get of how the actual creatures look. Yeah, that's true. Um, they, yeah, because when they first encounter them in the, um, the incubation room, if you will, um, you don't really see them because it happens so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, scene-wise, I think my favorite scene is probably the end scene. My favorite part of this movie is Bill Paxton. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was a big fan of Bill Paxton. And I also, this, I think, is the first movie I've watched since his passing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is wonderful in this film. The, the entire supporting cast is wonderful in this film. Um, and I will say, not so. I wish this movie had more of a hold in popular culture because there are so many lines from this movie that I want to say or that I do say in my everyday life that people don't get. <laughs> like, his whole like, this can't be happening, man. Game over, man. Those are great. Um, <laughs> when Ripley says I say, we, uh, I say we nuke the site from orbit, it's the only way to be sure. <laughs> like, I just really want to drop that into more conversations just in everyday life, but I know people will be like, I don't know what you're referring to. (laughs) I wholeheartedly agree, and there's a lot of stuff that I I really enjoyed in this one. I also enjoyed just, like, the badass females in this movie. Oh, yeah. Ripley is so great. And, like, like, of course, Terminator does this, too, right? When we come back in Terminator 2, like, Sarah Connor's totally different, but, like, in this movie, Ripley is, like, not just, like, struggling to make it out alive. Like she is like a full fledged badass. She is not taking shit from anyone, including these colonial Marines, which is so great. <laughs> yes. And, uh, private Vasquez. I thought oh, Vasquez was really cool. Yeah. Vasquez is great too. I'm a big fan of her. I mean, it's just, it's just so much fun. I, I have mixed feelings cause I, I do kind of hate James Cameron. Um, but why do you hate James Cameron? <sighs> Avatar, man. Okay, first of all, Cameron is responsible for some great movies in the 80s. Like, Terminator 2 single-handedly, like, 
launches Arnold Schwarzenegger's career. He's very good at sequels. Uh, Aliens, I thought was really good. Those are the two things I can think right now. But yes, um, yes. Avatar, uh, not 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 wonderful. Right, right. And so this is here's my okay. I love this movie. Um, I think it's great, but I think that you can see one of the things that's so odd about this franchise is that every movie has a very distinct tone and no two movies are the same in their tone, which I think like the Terminator and T2 are the same in their tone, even though they're different storylines. And the first alien movie is like the suspenseful, like sci-fi horror film. And this is just a straight up action movie. Like there's, it's, I mean, it's scary-ish, but, like, this is not a sci-fi horror film. This is a sci-fi action movie. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and I think maybe that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed it more. Okay. Is because it, it was more action-y and less, and less suspense-y. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so, fun. Here's a fun fact. So, the one thing that you maybe th- that that I don't know if you thought it was a plot hole or not. Um, but you know, obviously, Ripley forms this bond with Newt. Um, I mean, very obviously, like a, a motherly bond, and that's explained a little more by a deleted scene that they I don't know why they took out, where you find out that um, when she came back. Like part of the reason when she comes back and they're like, you've been gone for 51 years. Part of the reason that's such a shock to her system is because she had a daughter. And when, so when she gets home, she finds out her daughter is, has since passed away because she's been out in hypersleep so long. Um, but that also sort of laid the, the, or paved the way for her to then like, when she finds this little girl, like it makes more sense why she has a connection. It's not just like, Oh, you're a woman. So we'll throw a kid in here. Like there was actually a, a, a basis for it. Okay. That's that's interesting. I mean, I didn't really question it too much. I was just like, oh, she cared about the cat. Now she cares about the kid. <laughs> she's just a really nice person. Well, no, she's just, she's trying to save everybody in a little bit of an altruistic sense. Uh, I have to correct you. What? She was in hypersleep for 57 years. Oh, my bad. I wrote 51 in my notes. Maybe that's a seven and I just can't read. Whatever. um okay but okay so she's asleep for 57 years and let's talk about a nightmare by the way that is like that is a nightmare you're floating around in space for 57 years just oh god terrible anyway yeah but you don't realize it doesn't matter man and i want to like how old was her daughter when she left if she's now dead and what sort of life expectancy are they happening is happening I don't know. I I don't remember if it's. I don't know if they ever explain how she died. Actually, I almost. I think they don't explain how she died because in some of the um, subsequent video games, her daughter is a character who like goes who like when she becomes an adult, like basically goes out looking for her mother and like also encounters these aliens. Like because Alien also has like a very meaty extended universe, like many other sci-fi franchises. But I'm not really into that stuff. <laughs> Hashtag not my thing. <laughs> right. Um so like the okay, the vibe I got from the aliens is that they're very like kind of quick and have a lot of dexterity and can kind of like move in interesting ways and they're they react quickly. So the fight where she's in the ectosuit, the exosuit, yes. whatever. I was like, I feel that the Xenomorph's response time should be higher. But that's the queen. Wait, when uh, you're, okay. yeah, like when you're seeing the the quick ones, they're like the little worker bees, you know? They're the grunt aliens, the grunt Xenomorphs. And that's, I mean, like she's like connected to her birthing tube or whatever and like has to like disconnect herself from that to even go chase Ripley. Yeah, that was really cool and gross. So gross. I actually, that might be my favorite scene is when she goes and finds the queen. And because I love everything about that scene. I love that we see that like the aliens can communicate with each other. Cause like she clearly gives some vibes to her little worker xenomorphs to not attack Ripley when they go back into the shadows. But my favorite part of that scene is when 
Ripley's backing out. And she, like, gives the queen this look and before she just torches all the eggs and just, like, goes crazy on the place. Oh, man. So here's my thing, though. If, if the queen is giving an order to not attack her, doesn't that make Ripley the bad... Isn't Ripley the bad guy? Like, the xenomorphs are just trying to live. Well, Unfortunately, I- we need to die for them to live. So I get it. But it's like, if they were going to let, if they were going to let Ripley and Newt go, then why not just, you know, back out, go to the ship, leave, and then just don't go back to the planet. I mean, it's kind of a dick move on Ripley's part to kill all the, kill all the eggs. You're right. Um, And especially because like all the people on the planet are on the moon whatever colony whatever i don't even remember lv426 they're all dead so it's not like they actually like all these eggs aren't gonna do shit because there are no hosts anymore so you don't need to be a jerk and set them all on fire exactly it it seemed like a very paul riser thing to do paul riser i I like that we're verbing that (laughs) paul riser yeah she she paul risered it and it was like Okay, is, correct me if I'm wrong, is the, when they find the the woman in the cocoon and she's like, kill me, kill yeah. me, is that one of the, is that the girl from the, from Alien? No. Okay. No. no. I, I don't, with, with the blue tint, it looked like, it was like, uh, the girl. No, it's just supposed to be one of the colonists. Well, that's like, so here's another questionable decision on their part. Like, I I mean, and I don't expect Ripley to know that they were being cocooned, obviously. But like, when you see that all the heat signals are in one place, and yet you know that you've lost contact with these people, like, that can't be good. (laughs) Like, they're (laughs) they're like, oh, let's just go find the people. I'm sure this is fine. No, it's not gonna be fine, guys. Yeah, nobody has any common sense in movies. No. One one thing that I thought was a glaring plot hole, actually, we'll see if you agree with me. So they've been on this colony for 20 years. And so it's a bit of a an improbable coincidence to me that this is when they like this is when they go and, and that they haven't found the ship beforehand. Like, I think it's explained later that, like, once Ripley comes back. Burke actually like sends them out to the the derelict ship, but like had they not seen it before? Okay. Well, how you know how big is the planet? Maybe they were on the other side. Of, no, like they couldn't be on the other side of the planet because it was like wasn't the colony set up near it? Well, see, that's I mean that's another good question, right? Because like how big is this? Like if. I mean, it's probably not Earth size, but like if the ship landed in LA and the colony is in DC, like the two shall never meet. So I don't, that, but that's the other thing, right? So did the company, the company must have already known that the ship was there and put the colony near the ship, but then why hadn't the colonists found the ship earlier? Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. It's kind of a weird plot hole. I think we can just be like, eh, maybe they found it, but they didn't really do anything with it. They're just like, okay, it's there. We're too busy working on terraforming. Right, right. We're too busy doing our jobs. And so are we assuming that the xenomorphs, because you said that they take on characteristics of their hosts, are we assuming that that's what makes them oxygen tolerant? Are oxygen necessary? That is a great question. I don't know the answer to that. It's right. That's interesting. Like if they incubated in the blue nosed monkeys from evolution who needed carbon to breathe, would they be a carbon based life form? Or not a carbon based life form. A, would they need to? To breathe carbon instead of oxygen? Right. And I don't know. That's that's a great question. What if they 
were what if their hosts uh used helium would they be a lot higher pitched right so these are things that we just don't know yet and actually these are some these these are questions that we might get some answers to in alien covenant because it's um well be, and so I'd like to also give some backstory slash looking ahead as well to where we're going. So the whole reason why Prometheus got made is, is because Ridley Scott decided to revisit the franchise. And like, he was obsessed with these same questions and specifically he was obsessed with this idea of the ship itself. Who was this guy in the ship with all these eggs? Where was he going? What was he doing? How did he get these eggs? Like what, what's going on here? So when he made Prometheus, he, told everybody that he wanted to like answer some of these questions. Of course, Prometheus doesn't answer any of these questions really, and just creates a whole host of new questions. But that's what he says he's trying to do with like the new direction of the franchise. Like, I think he said he wants to do two more after covenant too. Okay. So like, so because, so Prometheus is, I think 30 years before the original alien and then Covenant is 10 years after Prometheus. So it's still so it's still 20 years before the original Alien movie, so there are there are still stories that can be told with these creatures. Well, I mean, does Prometheus deal with the origin of the Xenomorphs? Yes and no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I'll have to look forward to to checking that out. Um, that was that was supposed to be the whole point of that. Like, I can't wait to get to that movie and yell about it with you because, like, that was supposed <laughs> to be the whole point of that movie. And instead of giving a clear origin, it just creates chaos. I what? But we'll we'll get there. <laughs> so, what do you think? Let's let's based on. Well, I can't really do that based on these two movies. What do we think Covenant is going to be? Uh, but I, that is, that, that's a good question for you. What do you think Covenant is going to deal with? Because honestly, like the title I'm a little confused about. So, so just like Prometheus, Covenant is the name of the ship. So, so Covenant, the, the purpose the purpose of Covenant is that um, they are not terraformers, but they're colonists, and they're going to, like, start a colony. So they're actually all couples, um, and they're, like, going to this new colony to, like, start start a, a civilization there. And so, like, you know, they'll presumably start families and all that. So they're not looking for the aliens. They're not looking for anything. Um, in Prometheus, which you'll find out, the Prometheus is sent out to explore this world um, that scientists believe may contain intelligent life. And then they get there and all hell breaks loose. That's the short version of it. Um, But Covenant is not about that. Covenant is these people, these colonists who are presumably like not military trained, um, stumble upon some form of the xenomorph. And we don't really know much beyond that because the trailers don't really make it clear what exactly they're stumbling upon and what form of the xenomorph it is. Well, that's exciting. I I, but, I, I, I have seen the trailer for Covenant and I am excited about it. Uh, it does look very, very fun. If fun's the word you want to use. <laughs> if you're looking forward to seeing lots yeah. of people die. So do you think yeah. Covenant is going to take right, a So back? really, Scott... Oh, go ahead. That was actually what finish your question because that's what I was going to say. Oh, do you think it's going to take it back to the sci-fi suspense type of a film? I yes. So I think it's going to be more like I'm, I think it's going to be a combination of Alien and Aliens. So one of the biggest complaints about Prometheus is that well, number one, the characters are all really really stupid, and there's <laughs> actually not that much action in it. And it's like, it's not, it's not scary. Um, it's really not. And part of the reason it's not scary is because the plot's so bad. Um, but so really Scott has said that with Covenant, he wants to take it back to just a really scary movie, right? Just a scary sci-fi horror film. So I'm really hopeful that that's what it's going to take us back to. Let's talk about, I don't know if it's plot holes, but did you have an issue with 
how the queen got on the ship in this one. No. I thought she was just hiding out under it. Okay. Or uh, there was the part where... So I guess... There was the part where it kind of... The stairwell kind of hit into a bunch of debris. And it looked like some debris had blocked it from closing. So no, I didn't really have a big issue. Okay, yeah. Um, Yeah, I remember, like, I I go back and forth every time I watch it. Like, because to me, like, I watched that scene very carefully this time around. And, like, I can't tell. I mean, it it obviously was not the queen prosthetic, right? Like, they did not, like, put that thing on the ship. But we're supposed to assume, like, the thing that looks like black debris is actually the queen. So I guess that's, I guess that's realistic enough. Although it's like, where was she hiding? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, like, I just kind of thought that she, like, grabbed, she grabbed onto the ship, like, Schwarzenegger did in True Lies, on the helicopter, (laughs) and she just kind of wiggled her way on, and that was the end of it. Yeah, I guess you're right, I guess you're right. Um, here's a good fun fact for this movie. So Sigourney Weaver was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. And it was the first time that a woman had been nominated for best actress in what would be classified as an action movie. And I don't know if they've nominated an actress since for an action movie. No, like you usually Um, don't get Oscars for action movies. No, you really don't. So, I mean, like that, that goes to show you how really awesome she is. Yeah. Well um, done, Sigourney. So my friend what did, Sigourney. What? My friend Sigourney. Did you have any opinions about the, like, the changes in, like, the subtle changes in, like, how the alien looked from, like, one to two or anything like that? I didn't really notice. I didn't notice okay. that yeah, the so alien I mean, like, looked super different. I mean, it doesn't look super different, um... So like I I have I have a book cuz I'm a nerd that's like this really awesome basically like a coffee table book that's like goes through everything in the saga and I mean if you actually like look at pictures in the light of the first alien versus like what is in the second one they are very very different and you just can't really tell because of the cuz it's so dark basically um but Cameron this I mean again I love hate James Cameron he he tweaked the design a bit, which is kind of like, I mean, the, the guy that designed it is this guy named H.R. Geiger, and he is crazy, and he's like this uh, creepy surrealist artist, um, and all of his stuff is like weird, just very weird. Um, you know, I think I would highly encourage everybody to go look at his stuff because it's all so odd. Um, but then Cameron came in, and Cameron's like, well, let's make them quicker. Let's make them able to to walk on all fours. Let's do this. Let's do that. And so, like, he kind of changes the design and, like, shapes it in what James Cameron thinks would be cool for the xenomorph. And obviously, the, the so Geiger was not involved in the second one. So the queen is entirely Cameron's idea. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find pictures of... You want to do me a favor? Yeah. Will you send me the pictures of the xenomorph from alien versus aliens. And then I will include that in the show notes. So everyone else can take a gander as well. Sure. Of course. Baller. Yeah. Uh, Well, and you know, what's interesting is with how the xenomorphs birth. I mean, I think that the, the queen idea fits. It doesn't really break canon in in my humble opinion i don't think it breaks anything and obviously like again we're seeing them in a different environment than we saw in the first one in the first one we saw one alien trapped on a ship whereas like here these are like the aliens like not on their home world but like kind of in their element because like they've set up like a um a colony. like a hive yeah they, they have their own colony yeah, yeah. um so it's you know one I don't I don't know if we ever find out like where does the queen come from like is that a special egg that sort of thing because like obviously they're not all queens so I don't know. Well, I mean, it could be I don't know like one out of every hundred is a queen. I don't know, man. Oh man. Do we ever find out in the million movies? I don't think so. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. Any final closing thoughts on Alien or Aliens, Rachel Bolin? They're so awesome, and I love them. I, I want so I want to make you aware, Kenny, as well as our viewers who might be watching these movies for the first time. Um, so Alien Three and Alien Resurrection are going to drastically shift the tone again. Alien Three is not a fun movie at all. <laughs> it was done by David Fincher. It is this dark existential despair of a of a sci-fi horror movie. Like it's one of the most depressing movies. Like I'm so you'll, you'll know exactly. What I'm, I'm so excited. Um, but I want to pre- prepare you for that um, because you're going to watch it and you're going to be like, I don't want to watch the next one. Like this was <laughs> garbage. And so I just yeah. want you to be ready for that. And then resurrection is resurrection is a Joss Whedon script that he didn't direct though. It's directed by this weird French director who made, tried to make it like an art film. And it's just, it's bizarre. <laughs> we'll say that. <laughs> well, uh, so in case and anyone didn't pick up, we will be back at you next Friday with another with another installment in our countdown to Covenant. We'll be focusing on Alien Three and Alien Resurrection. So and I don't think you need to worry about me wanting to watch Resurrection because I got through Iron Fist, therefore I can get through this. Kenny got through Iron Fist. Rachel did not. No podcast is complete without a dig at Iron Fist, in my humble opinion. <laughs> I agree. Danny Rand deserves nothing. Danny Rand deserves to be stuck on a planet with xenomorphs. <laughs> oh my god. He does. He does. <laughs> All right. That's, that's his punishment. That, Alright, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our Countdown to Covenant. We will get you back next week. And oh, Rachel, any shout outs or where people can find you? Oh, I'm on Twitter at Rachel Loves TV. Um, you can follow me there. Also, um, we are going to start doing, I don't remember if it's this next weekend. It might be the weekend right after you listen to this podcast or the weekend after American Gods is coming out on stars very soon. Um, if you don't have stars, go find a, go, go get a free trial or something. Um, that's going to be great. Uh, it's, uh, based on a really wonderful novel. It's got a superb cast. We're going to be doing some, recaps on that one so be there awesome i'm excited to start watching that with you and by with you i mean at the same time but independently in different states it's fine (laughs) and on that note we're gonna leave it there thank you very much everyone for listening and work out nerd out Thank you for listening to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Please leave us a review on iTunes as well as a rating. We would definitely appreciate it. And while you're at it, follow us on all social media at Dumbbells Dragon. That includes Pinterest, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, and Snapchat. Until next time, work out, nerd out.